Uh, I think the president uh, is going to keep all of his options on the table. Uh, he's the commander in chief. Uh, I have a view from Arizona's perspective. He's got a universal view and of course is working with Secretary Nielsen as, as well. Uh, but th that decision, that final decision is going to be his. Welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode, we're going to talk about two unfolding stories. In the second half of the episode, we'll talk about Trump's threat to close the southern border and how Arizona Governor Doug Ducey has responded. First, though, let's talk about the conclusion of the Mueller investigation, the interpretation of what we know so far, and the political maneuvering that's already unfolding. Uh, we've talked about the Russian investigation a few times before on this podcast, mostly with me trying to recap the latest <laughs> sensational turn uh, that was supposedly devastating to the president, and then you calmly explaining <laughs> why, why the latest turn was being blown out of proportion. Uh, but last week, Mueller finished his investigation into whether Trump's campaign colluded with the Russians to manipulate the 2016 election. Mueller filed his report with the Department of Justice without bringing any charges of collusion. His report has not been released in full, but Attorney General Bill Barr has released uh, a summary of this report. So first question, uh, there's been a lot of strong conclusions drawn from the summary, uh, Bill Barr's summary, but how much can we really know right now without knowing what's in the full report, over 400-page report, that was filed by Mueller. Well, Barr has <clears throat> insisted that he didn't provide a summary, just a statement of the principal conclusions. And uh, given um, that we are going to see at least a uh, redacted version of it that he's committed to release publicly, and that he quoted directly from the report in stating the most important conclusion, uh, which was that there was no evidence of collusion uh, between uh, Trump, his campaign, and the Russian disinformation campaign in the 2016 presidential election. So Barr is a pretty straight arrow sort of guy. I don't think that he would manipulate um, or try to shape the conclusions um, and there, uh, on that particular point, there's a direct quote. Also, I mean, he was pretty candid um, that uh, Mueller provided evidence uh, or an argument, both in favor of finding that the president obstructed justice um, and that he did, did not. Uh, and, and so um, even though this is being depicted as a whitewash and Trump has wrongly called it a total and complete exoneration. Um, in Barr's statement of principal conclusions, um, th there is the lingering issue of the obstruction of justice, which he settled himself, and I think correctly, in, in finding that uh, there wasn't. He also indicated um, that the obstruction of justice investigation involved almost entirely events which were already public. So it's not as though, according to his 
letter um, a whole lot of stuff that we don't already know mm -hmm. uh, related to obstruction of justice. Yeah, there was a the immediate reaction was wild celebration on the right, especially in the Trump camp, uh, claiming exoneration, a lot of gloating on, on behalf of people who had been cautious about drawing conclusions, but it seemed like on, on the left, there was a lot of, well, we haven't seen it yet. Maybe there's a whole bunch of damning information that is undoubtedly going to come out. And there's, I think there's a perception on the left too, that Bill Barr is not a totally straight shooter, that he is a Trump appointment that has an incentive to brush this all under the rug and try not to let it get out. The, the full report, so may, no matter what conclusions we can draw or not, the full report is hopefully coming out. Uh, just this week, though, uh, <clears throat> Lesko and Andy Biggs, two Arizona congressmen, voted against releasing the full report. That's not... Um an accurate statement of what the vote was. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so that's been, that vote has been used against them because they voted in favor of a resolution of the House calling for a release of the report. Uh, that was um, a vote to subpoena the report uh, and, uh, and to provide it for con to Congress completely unredacted. Uh, Congress can't be trusted. Let's, I mean, Congress leaks like a sieve. And there is uh, grand jury uh, testimony that by law cannot be released by bar um, without permission of a judge. There are um, national intelligence uh, material uh, in it. Um, and uh, the Department of Justice is supposed to take care uh, about peripheral parties uh, that weren't a principal subject of the investigation. And that, and so, so, so the votes were against saying, give us the complete document right now, no editing. Well, so the, you know that that would result in right, selected right. leaks. So the, so the first vote they took that was unanimous to... The resolution that was just saying this should be released to yes. the public. Yes. In a, in a redacted version after you after and, you and, do and, it, and, and which, it was a statement of sentiment, which it, is it, which is totally up to the Justice Department. Uh, the second one you're saying was a a more forceful thing, the subpoena that would give them the full the full un unredacted version, right. which would have the danger of slipping out. Well, and and it's saying <clears throat> we're not going to wait for Barr to do what he said he was going to do. So there are politics in this. So, mm -hmm. so Barr has said, give me two weeks. I'm going to get you as much information as I can. And the Democrats said, no, 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 no. Right now, we've got a deadline. We're going to subpoena it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just, I mean, <laughs> the Department of Justice is going to say no, and then they're going to have to go to court to enforce it. And there's just no reason not to wait to see what Barr produces. And, and Barr has has said that he's working on it right now with the Mueller team to redact sensitive information with the plan of releasing it in, in mid-April. So it, we'll, If not sooner. And you wrote a column about the conclusion of the investigation that I thought made a, a couple good points. One is that the overblown perceptions on both sides turned out not to be accurate. 
every, the, uh, everyone that was hoping for a total takedown, it was just a matter of time before Trump was going to get taken down, got proved wrong. But also Trump's continual claim that there was a deep state coup and that this report was just a hit job out to take him out, that proved not to be true. And in hindsight, he said, oh, actually, I think Mueller is an honorable man. So I, I think that cuts through a lot of the, uh, you know, the hype and the hyperbole on both sides in a revealing way. But the second point that you made is that this probably won't result, even though it should be sort of a, and it is, I think it's a good thing and a healthy thing that this report got finished and is going to get released. But we're already seeing the spins on both sides, and you, and your conclusion was that our politics are so toxic, and you know the Russians didn't seek to determine what outcome necessarily more than they sought to just exacerbate this you know polarizing environment that we already have. And I was just wondering what, if you could elaborate on what you think has been the biggest contributing factor for this toxicity that exists now, and is there anything that you see that could be done to make it healthier other than time? I don't know. What it... um, certainly politics have um, been getting increasingly toxic over time, um, but... Uh, Trump, in the way that he practices politics, uh, was an accelerant uh, to that process. Um, and uh, he, he practices uh, a very uh, sharp-elbowed politics of his own, and he engenders it um, from his uh, critics. So I don't think that uh, as long as he is president that we're going to be able to move towards a more healthy um, politics. I think it requires someone who runs uh, in a different way and succeeds. Um, politicians aren't really much of original thinkers. Uh, so if you have someone who bucks the tide uh, and um, succeeds, they might see imitators. I mean, certainly Kirsten Cinema in Arizona um, ran a different kind of campaign. Now, outside groups were bashing the crap yeah, out, of, say, out, of, out of out of that. <laughs> but 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 she she does practice a different politics, and she's been very successful. You need someone to run for president like that. I mean, Ronald Reagan was the sort where he would. Um, poke the other side in the ribs, uh, but would do it in a way that the other side would laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, it was funny, even if you were the object of uh, his uh, jabs. Uh, Hubert Humphrey um, was uh, that way. Uh, so we've had examples in the past. Um, Donald Trump is not that way, and uh, he is an agitator and... Uh, wants the attention to always be on him, and uh, hyper hyperbole and agitation is one of the ways that he achieves that. And just a halftime break here to let our listeners know 
about an upcoming book review podcast that's going to be coming up in May. We did a previous podcast. Uh, I talked with Matt Emerson about the Grant biography that was a couple months ago. We're currently reading the new Reagan biography by Bob Spitz. And we're going to be planning on talking about that book mid to late May. So if any of our listeners wants to uh, read the book ahead of time and listen to our discussion about that book, uh, the biography is Reagan, An American Journey by Bob Spitz. Let's transition and talk about the southern border, which has been in the news for a while now. Uh, In the past few months, we've seen caravans of people traveling from Central America to the U.S. southern border. We're seeing ports of entry overwhelmed by asylum seekers. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey has described this as a humanitarian and a security crisis. And this week, Trump has threatened to shut down the border entirely. My first question is, can he do that? Could Trump, with the stroke of a pen, just uh, shut down the border with Mexico and block all travel and trade? Uh, I think... Uh, on a temporary basis, he probably could. I mean, the, the um, Department of Homeland Security works for him. If, if he orders uh, the ports of entry closed, um, I think probably that order would be valid and would need to be implemented. However, uh, both immigration and trade are constitutionally given to Congress to control. Uh, so Congress could override that, uh, I think, um, with the passage of, of a law or legislation requiring that the ports of entry be kept open. Um, but I do think that uh, probably on a temporary basis, the president has the authority, although certainly if he did it, it would be challenged and some liberal district court judge somewhere would find that he didn't have the authority and we'd have another litigation mess on our hands. And uh, big fuss has been made this week about uh, Governor Ducey, whether he supported or now supports Trump's uh, shutdown tactic uh, Ducey supports free trade, talks about that a lot, how Mexico is our number one trading partner. And obviously, it's important to a lot of businesses uh, economically here in Arizona. And earlier this week, sounded like he did not agree, didn't say it at, in a very blunt or straightforward way, but reporters drew the conclusion that he was against Trump's shutdown the border idea, and then traveled to the White House uh, for an unrelated matter, but met with Donald Trump, and then uh, in a press conference on uh, in front of the White House, uh, did say that he, if it happened, and he qualified it and said it, it should, doesn't see why it would happen or, or needed to, but if it did, he would be supportive of it, and it would uh, hopefully not last that long. So what do you make of that? Uh, you know, that support of the border shutdown? Not much. It's clear that um, Governor Ducey um, thinks the border should remain open. 
uh, and has done an awful lot to try to promote trade with Mexico and overcome the uh, ill will in the relationship that uh, has occurred from um, anti-illegal immigration legislation that the legislature has passed and some of the public pronouncements of his predecessor, uh, Jan Brewer. Um, I just think it was one of those things where he was trying to uh, walk a delicate line, um, not wanting to trash the president's thought. Uh, proposal has given it too much substance about shutting down the border right in front of the White House. I, I don't think he was trying to play a political game or backtracking. I just think he came up with a lousy answer to a to a question that um, he could have dealt with better. But I, I, I think it's it's a gotcha moment. It's not really reflective of anything deeper substantive. I don't think there's any question that the governor thinks that shutting down the border would be a boneheaded idea. And as I've called it, a uh, monumental irresponsibility. I mean, doesn't this play into the perception, though, the political perception that Republicans are puppets of, of Trump and that will go against their own principles just to go along with Trump. It seems like, you know, with, with, uh, you know, with Martha McSally, uh, eventually supporting the emergency declaration. And now with, with this other example, uh, isn't this, uh, threatening maybe to, to solidify an independent voters minds that, you know, if you vote for Republicans, they're going to go along with Trump, uh, even if it goes against fundamental principles like like free trade and like uh, separation of powers. I, I think that's reading too much into a, a um, poor answer uh, by uh, Ducey. Um, but certainly uh, immigration politics for Republicans is hugely important, and the immigration restrictionists have very much the upper hand. Uh, there is still... Um, a desire by Republican primary voters to have candidates who will support Trump. Um, so it's it's a real issue. I do think that it has the... I, I do think in 2018 it turned off independents um, and turned them against uh, Republicans. We'll see what happens in 2020, but I think it certainly has that potential. Um, McSally did say that she thought it was a mistake to shut down the border, but certainly the way that she conducted herself in 2018, she went overboard in trying to present herself as a Trump loyalist. We'll, we'll see how she handles that dynamic yeah. in, in 2020. But, but those are all real political issues, questions for Republicans, concern of independence. But I don't think Ducey's um, poor answer to the question was reflective of that. And it's almost, to me, it, it, it goes a little bit more than just a poor answer to the question because it, it, it goes to the, to the fact that when it, when, it, when it gets down to it, and if Trump were to say, I'm shutting down the border, which would cut off all trade 
for our Arizona businesses, which would be devastating to our economy, um, if it got down to that, would our governor say, no, I do not support this? And it, it sounds like, uh, even though he's firmly said that he supports free trade and that free trade is important, isn't that something that voters would want is, you know, are you willing to, when it gets down to something like that, to stand up? I, I think he would. And, and, and his prior comments and even some comments he made in that press conference where he said that shutting down the border um, shouldn't be necessary, that you can have both trade and border security. I mean, what he, I think what he believes um, and if he had it a chance to formulate an answer in advance, would have said is, I share the president's deep concern about uh, what's happening on the border, um, but uh, I don't think that shutting down the border is the way to approach it, that it would have devastating consequences. What needs to happen, and Ducey did go on to say this, uh, is that Congress needs to act, um, that uh, our current asylum laws and regulations uh, have created a situation uh, where it's a draw to asylum seekers, uh, either children, unaccompanied ch children or children with families, that are, in effect, guaranteed admittance to the United States. We have to do something about that or we're going to continue to get the flood of asylum seekers from Central America that we're currently getting. He pretty much said that. He just blew the first part of it, but I don't think it's reflective of where his sentiments really are or if it actually came down to shutting down the border. I think that he would be in the forefront of saying this is a bad idea, open it back up. You've been a strong advocate of using E-Verify as a sort of uh, electronic deterrence for for people coming here to, to work that are undocumented, that if, that if every employer was checking immigration status beforehand, it would, be, would de-incentivize people coming here for work. Um, but it doesn't seem like that would solve the situation we're seeing now with the influx of asylum seekers from, from devastation in Venezuela and uh, other and surrounding Central American countries. Do you think the U.S. should be investing or assisting financially or, or otherwise in stabilizing those countries? I don't think that that is something that the U.S. can successfully do. And uh, while I think that Trump's threat to shut down the border was an act of monumental irresponsibility, I don't feel the same way about him seeking to cut off aid to these countries. Um, the reality is if you've got good governance, you will have economic growth and the rule of law without U.S. assistance. If you don't have good gov governance, it doesn't matter how much U.S. assistance is provided. Um, you're going to have lawlessness and the sort of things that are driving people to seek asylum in the United States. And we've not seen any evidence that U.S. government assistance can be used to lead to good governance. We need to 
make we need to change our rules with respect to asylum seekers so that unaccompanied children or families with children don't get a guaranteed pass to enter the country um, with a formal adjudication of their asylum application not being considered for years. Uh, right now, if an unaccompanied uh, child from Mexico shows up and reports to Border Patrol, we can immediately send them back to Mexico. We can't do that by law for Central American countries. The Trump administration has asked Congress to treat those countries the same as we treat Mexico and to say any unaccompanied child can be sent back to their home country. We need to invest in very rapid adjudication of asylum claims so that people don't get a chance to just disappear in the country after a couple years um, while their asylum application is very slowly uh, processed. We, we need to speed that process up. Um, and if you do that, I mean, the goal should be to move applications for asylum to the home country of the applicant. And the only way to do that is to get rid of the free pass if you show up at our border and, re- and self-report uh, to a border patrol agent. So a lot of ideas for how we could sort of respond there. Um, but in terms of anything we can, maybe it's presumptuous to, to think we can just go in there and create or assist in stabilizing, is there any stabilizing uh, activity that the that the U.S. could could do um, to to help humanitarian? The, 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 the record of U.S. Um, foreign assistance is um, highly disappointing and and offers no suggestion um, that the U.S. can through aid. Uh, create good governance, which creates the rule of law, which um, creates hope and prosperity. Uh, That has to happen internally. Uh, We can't buy it for people. We've tried, the the Bush administration, the the second Bush administration, tried to tie our aid to good governance reform. That didn't work either. Um, So uh, regretfully, it would be great. But ultimately, foreign direct investment and internal economic growth is what lifts um, standards of living and uh, alleviates the sort of conditions that that are leading to this. And you have to have the rule of law in order to have get foreign investment uh, or get domestic uh, economic growth. That that has to come first. And and. We've not shown any ability to induce it in countries, either through our diplomatic efforts or by dangling money in front of them. All right, let's wrap it up there. Last question. It is April, but March Madness is still going on. How's your bracket doing? <laughs> I, as you know, I fill, I fill out no bracket. I probably couldn't name... Five teams to start the, start the year. My bracket was busted after about two games. <laughs> um, but uh, also coming up is Masters Week next week. 
uh, odds-on favorite right now is Roy McIlroy, but Tiger Woods and Jordan, Jordan Spieth aren't too far behind. Any predictions for Masters Week next week? Well, predicting the outcome of a golf <laughs> tournament, except during the uh, period of time when Tr Tiger was winning basically one out of every three tournaments that he entered um, is a fool's uh, errand. Certainly, uh, Rory McIlroy is looking um, very strong. Uh, this is the only major he doesn't have. He blew one of them. Uh, he's a clutch player. Um, so I would say that making him the favorite is a sound judgment. Tiger Woods, I think, is going to win a major again. I don't know if I'll win this one, but that I, I think he's going to win. really excite the golf world. I think and more than one, just the golf world. One of these days. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks.